Good morning. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. You can turn with me in your Bibles to Daniel. Book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 20. We were through the first part of this chapter last week. And in that part of the chapter that we studied, we learned that Daniel was praying. Daniel was praying for the Lord to forgive Israel and restore Jerusalem. And last week we saw that that was according to God's word in the book of the prophet Jeremiah. In fact, Daniel was praying for the Lord to deliver Israel from their captivity in Babylon. And as we begin our study this morning, just understand that this is the answer to his prayer. The answer to his prayer came very quickly, and wouldn't it be wonderful if the answers to all of our prayers came about within the same chapter of our lives? But so often we're praying for years, sometimes decades, and then God graciously answers our prayers. And then sometimes that, that answer isn't exactly what we were hoping for. It certainly would be better, I think, for us if God answered prayer immediately. And then we would be much happier if he answered our prayers exactly the way we prayed them. But God always does exactly what's necessary for our good according to his will And we're grateful for that in our spirits, in our hearts, but in our minds sometimes we wish he would do things a little differently. So this morning, as we get into the word, we're going to pray, go through the introduction, and then break down in verses 24 through 27 a prophecy of which most of it has already been fulfilled. Now, it was future for Daniel, it's past for us. But there's really only one verse that's still future for us. So we're going to see that God's word is true, and then we're going to see that just as God's word was true in the past, which was Daniel's future, our past, God's word will be true in our future as well. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you now, and we're grateful for all that you're doing here at Calvary Chapel and all that you're doing in our hearts and in our lives. Lord, we're so grateful for a comfortable place to worship together today. And we're grateful for each other. We don't take for granted the fellowship that you have provided here at this fellowship uh, with one another. And we are grateful for our church family, and we thank you, Lord. Uh, We ask that you would continue to work in our hearts and bring us to a place where we grow closer to you and become more like you, we pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, let's start by looking just at verse twenty. And uh, actually, you know what? I'd like to just look at verses 20 through 23. Daniel writes, after having prayed, While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, that would be Mount Zion, the area of Jerusalem, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I had seen in an earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. And he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. And as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. And we'll see that message and vision in just a minute. Daniel was praying for the Lord to deliver Israel from their captivity in Babylon. They had been there for 70 years, nearly 70 years. And Here he is pleading with God in prayer and petition, in fasting, in repentance, in sackcloth and ashes. 
Sackcloth was a very uncomfortable, almost burlap-like garment that reminded you continually that you weren't supposed to be comfortable, you were supposed to be in prayer. Now, just imagine, and I I don't even want to think about this, imagine wearing wool, a wool sweater today. I don't know about you, but wool makes me itch. But imagine going outside, not putting on the air conditioning, and getting in your car and leaving that wool sweater on. Sackcloth, give you a good idea what that must have been like. And ashes, they would take the ashes and they'd put them on their heads to show outwardly that they were in grieving, a time of grieving and mourning. And this was, this was designed to remind them that this wasn't a time for celebration or rejoicing and feasting, but a time of repentance and mourning, a time of humility, even humiliation before God. That is, they were recognizing their own humiliation before God for their sins. Now this is Daniel praying, confessing to the Lord the sins of the men of Judah and the people of Jerusalem and all Israel, though he himself was a godly righteous man, he was confessing the sins of his nation, petitioning the Lord to return Israel to Jerusalem and restore the city and its sanctuary. And this is what we learned last week in verses 1 through 19. According to Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, at this time, he was praying toward Jerusalem, where God had promised that he would return his people. And he prayed consistently in humility before his God and did so three times a day. This was a man who was steadfast in prayer, giving thanks to his God in the midst of what was severe persecution and trials. We can take a lesson from Daniel. He had never stopped praying for God's deliverance during those 70 years in Babylon. And so that's the introduction that gets us from where we were last week. But here, Daniel's praying when the angel Gabriel comes to him in a vision about the time of the evening sacrifice. Now, the Jews would have daily sacrifices, weekly sacrifices, monthly sacrifices. They would also have holiday sacrifices. They sacrificed a lot, but every day in the morning and the evening... They'd have a time of sacrifice. And so this was the time of the evening sacrifice when Daniel received this vision. It was around twilight, around that time. Now he had seen Gabriel in his earlier vision in chapter 8 of the ram, the goat, and the little horn, which we studied a few weeks ago. And this is actually the fourth time that Daniel had received visions. And so the first time, of course, chapter 2, when he received the uh, interpretation, not only the interpretation, but the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. He received that same dream, and he received the interpretation. And then in chapter 7 and 8, he received visions as well. And in chapter 7, there was the vision of the beasts, the different nations represented by these beasts. And then in chapter 8, as we've mentioned already, the ram, the goat, the little horn, things that dealt with Greece and Medo-Persia and the people of Israel. But now, this angel Gabriel appears to Daniel a second time. Now, this is just eight years later, just eight years after the last time that Daniel had had received a vision from Gabriel, or from the Lord through Gabriel. Now, he appeared in the New Testament to Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist. We saw that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 1. That would happen in the future, Daniel's future, our past. So we know who Gabriel is. We've, we've, if we've studied our Bibles, New and Old Testament, we're familiar with Gabriel. And his name really just means a man of God. So he also appeared, as we know, to Mary, the mother of Jesus in Luke's Gospel. And I suspect, although I don't know, that he was the same angel that appeared to Joseph and even the shepherds 
in Matthew and Luke's gospel. So this angel gets involved in all of the particulars, all of the details concerning the birth of Christ, the Messiah. So it's no surprise that the vision that he's about to share with Daniel has to do with the coming Messiah. By the way, you may know this, you probably do. In Hebrew, we say Messiah. In Greek, we say Christ. In English, we say anointed one. So that's really the same thing. You can say Jesus, the anointed one, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ, and you're really saying the same thing. So we're going to see that comes out in the text today. So he was told by Gabriel in verses 22 through 23 that he had come to him in answer to his prayer. Now, it doesn't seem like it was a very long period of time before Daniel's prayer was answered. But remember this, Daniel had been praying, no doubt, for a very long time during those 70 years, nearly 70 years, as he's waiting for God to fulfill his promises. He's told us that he was praying on this particular occasion, according to the words of the prophet Jeremiah, and that he was aware that the 70 years was about to, to, to be fulfilled. And, but if you think that he just started praying recently, you don't know who Daniel is. I'm certain that Daniel was praying from pretty much the moment he arrived in Babylon. That's going back, what, about 67 years. So if you're complaining that God hasn't answered your prayer in the last 67 days, can I just tell you that Daniel prayed for 67 years? And God sent an angel to answer that prayer, those prayers. Now we're told what those prayers were. But on this one occasion, when he's praying, as I'm sure he prayed three times a day for a long period of time, God sent this angel. And it's interesting that the angel says this, Gabriel says, as soon as you began to pray, an answer was given. And you could put like a little comma there, even the period on the sentence, or maybe an ellipse, dot, dot, dot. Okay, so... Some period of time goes by, a long period of time. And then Gabriel goes on to say, I mean, his experience, not this actually happened in just seconds, but all that time represented by that little gap. And and it goes on to say, which I have come to tell you for you are highly esteemed. So think about it. He's saying, you know, when you started to pray, an answer was given. And now I'm here to give it to you. Don't you wish God just gave us the answer to our prayers in that moment? Why does the Lord wait to give us the answer to prayer? You might say, well, the Lord waits to answer prayer. That's not true. God answers prayer immediately. But sometimes we don't find out what that answer is for a long period of time. Why would that be? Why would God wait to tell us the answer to our prayers? Could it be that we're not ready to receive those answers? Could it be that whatever the answer is, we're not ready to take it in and uh, uh, react to it and respond to it and live according to it? Might God need to wait on us? You know, I really don't think we wait on God. I think God waits on us. Now, when we wait on the Lord, what does that mean? We're serving the Lord. The way if you go to a restaurant later today or sometime during the week, you're going to be waited on, hopefully, by a competent server. That waiter is going to show up and, and, and try to help you. That waiter is not going to sit down and wait for you to leave the restaurant. That's the way that we wait on the Lord. But the Lord waits on us 
to be in a place where we can receive the answers to our prayers. So don't blame God. Now, why was it that all this time went by and finally Daniel receives the answer to his prayer? Well, let's not forget, a lot of things took place over those 67 years. Uh, We've studied much of them already. Let's remember, Daniel chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, the beginning of chapter 6, 7, 8, and everything that's taken place in chapter 9 up to this point. A lot had taken place. God had been answering prayer and speaking to Daniel. But this answer that he's about to receive couldn't be given to Daniel until Daniel's heart was ready to receive it, and he had received all of the other revelation that came first. See, you and I, we need to be prepared to receive the word of the Lord. God's not going to give it to you all at once. Your heart, your brain, your mind, you can't even receive those things all at once. Can you imagine? When you try to download something from the internet on your computer, and you don't have a very fast download speed, what happens to your computer? You get that little circular thing that spins, and you think to yourself, what is wrong? I fired up my modem, or actually it wasn't my modem, it was my router this morning, and it didn't connect. And I'm just sitting there looking at this little spinning thing, spinning thing. It it just wasn't ready to receive the information. I had to reboot it. I need to be rebooted once in a while. I need God to do things in my life so that when I finally receive the answer to some of my prayers, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad God didn't tell me that 20 years ago. I wouldn't have been able to receive it. So there you go. It's okay. There are prayers that God has answered. Amen? There are prayers that God is answering. Amen? And there are prayers that God has answered already, and you just don't know it yet. You just don't know it yet. I'm not aware, but God knows. And so he had come, this angel had come to give Daniel insight and understanding. He assured Daniel, he's highly esteemed by God. God likes you, Daniel. Not just loves you. I see, I think everyone here can say, I know God loves me. But he probably doesn't like me because I don't like me sometimes. I'm very unlikable and unlovable at times, but God loves me, but... He's highly esteemed. Do you know what that means? It means God thinks highly of him. Take that in for a minute. The angel said, you know, God really thinks highly of you. Now, if you were like Job, you weren't too happy when God said things like, yeah, have you considered my servant Job to Satan? If I were Job, I might have said, yeah, God, maybe not mention that to Satan next time. But you are highly esteemed. If you love God, if you're living for God, say amen. You're highly esteemed. This angel, and God through the angel, wanted Daniel to consider the message that he's about to receive in this vision. You need to think about this, Daniel. What I'm about to tell you, you really need to think about. Consider the message and understand the vision. So what's about to be shared needs to be considered, thought about, and understood by Daniel. Here's here's the thing for us. I've already mentioned all but the last verse has already happened. It's very easy to interpret the fulfillment. However, it's a little complicated. So we'll take our time as we go through this. I'm going to start with the first verse of this vision, verse 24. Now, verse 24 is just a paragraph that actually is an outline of the entire prophecy. So we'll start with verse 24. And in verse 24, we read, 77s. 
77s. Some of your translations say weeks. I'll explain that in a minute. Seventy-sevens are decreed for your people, that would be the Jews, and your holy city, which would be Jerusalem, to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now that's a lot that's going to take place during this period of time referred to here as 77s. Daniel is told and I'll break this down for you in just a minute, that there would be 490 years of prophecy concerning Israel that was yet to be revealed. All right, let me, let me explain how we get there. Because that, that's easy to say, but how do we get there? Again, 490 years of prophecy concerning Israel yet to be revealed. Now, there were 77s. That in of itself is a bit mysterious or enigmatic. First of all, in Hebrew, and remember now this part of the book is written in Hebrew, it is not meant for everyone as much as it is for the Jews. The word in Hebrew is heptads, and and it really just means seven sevens. It really does, literally. In fact, all of this pertains to Israel and the city of Jerusalem, but if I were to say to you, there are a dozen people, a dozen, how many people am I talking about? 12, unless you're ordering bagels. Then sometimes you get the 13th one, right? Or donuts sometimes. Probably don't do that anymore with inflation. You probably don't get a baker's dozen. Maybe they do. But a dozen is 12. Okay, we know that. A dozen is 12. So if I say a heptad, then it means seven. And they would use the term weak because in the Hebrew mind, you'd say God created the heavens and the earth in six days and rested on the seventh. There's this idea of a weak. Seven. It's a repetitive theme throughout Scripture. So when we say a seven or a week, there's no question. It's like the word dozen. Dozen means 12. Week means seven. So we interpret it 70 weeks or 70 sevens. But how do we get to this issue of a seven meaning a year? Now, it's hard to do that. In fact, it would have been almost impossible to do that beforehand. But reflectively, with hindsight, it's not. Because we know what happened. And I've said this before. It is so easy to teach prophecy fulfilled. It's history. It's almost impossible without the help of the Holy Spirit, certainly, and without the Word of God. You can't. uh, to, to, To teach prophecy that has yet to be fulfilled. Sometimes it's explicit. Sometimes it's pretty easy to figure out. Sometimes you have no clue. And what we're going to talk about in verse 27 is a little dicey, it's a little difficult, but fortunately, we have a whole book, which we'll be studying in a few weeks, called the book of Revelation. And by the way, please, one of my little pet peeves, it's not the book of Revelations. It does have Revelations, but it's the book of Revelation, singular, the apocalypse or apocalypsis, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. It's not revelations of the future. It's the revelation of Jesus Christ. Okay? So singular, because there's only one Jesus. Amen? So looking at this, okay, we understand. We're okay so far. 77, 70 weeks. We're talking about uh, something that is easy to interpret in that way. But it could actually mean seven of anything. It could be days. Say a week, it's seven days. It could be seven months. It could be seven years. So 77s, in its largest form that we're talking about, would be 490 years. So is it 490 years? How do we know? Well, those are the things we're going to deal with today. 
But in this case, because we know how this was fulfilled, it becomes immediately obvious that we're talking about 70 years. Okay? 70, 360-day years. So, 77s. Here, here's the thing. 490 years all in all. Okay? 70, 360-day years. Why 360 days? Well, in the Babylonian world, their year was, actually in the entire world, until an incident that took place when King Hezekiah was king, the, the, and science has, has borne this out, uh, the year was 360 days. Why do I say that? Well, have you ever wondered why there are 360 degrees in a circle? That was developed in Babylon, and they based it on the fact that there were 360 days in the year. Some cataclysmic event took place around 700 years before Christ, and the path or the orbit of the earth and the moon was altered slightly, and now it's like not even exactly, but about 365 and a quarter days. And we can go through that at some point, but for now, just that's enough. Let's move on. But there was a time when 360 makes sense. There were 360 gods that they worshipped, and they used this to describe the degrees of a circle. So, and by the way, it makes perfect sense if you're a math guy. There were 360 days in a year and 30 uh, days in each month. You know, it all works out well. And then there was this cataclysmic event and something took place and everything changed. So, having said that, if we're talking about 70, 360-day years, okay, if we're talking about those types of years, then let's look at what history says and see if it fits. If it doesn't, well, then maybe we're wrong. But if it does, then perhaps we understand what Daniel was being told in advance. Now, the Lord would answer Daniel's prayer in several ways during this prophetic time period of 490 years. We're actually told there are six things he's told will happen during these 490 years, because 77s, right? You with me? 70 times 7. Um, which is interesting because it's also an, an idiom that's used throughout he, the Hebrew mindset. Seven, seven times seven, 77. It, it's a word that comes up a lot because like the word dozen to us, week or sevens was a, a word and a concept that was very, very rich in Hebrew culture because of creation. Okay, so let's move on. So the Lord would answer Daniel's prayer. All the things that we read last week, all the things he's praying for, and it would happen in a time period a total time period of 77s or 490 years. Everyone with me so far? Okay, you got your calculators out, right? Okay. First thing, he would finish transgression during this time period. Well, this is Israel's transgression we're talking about and their rebellion against God. And sure enough, God has a plan to finish or restrain Israel's rebellion. That's what he's telling Daniel. He would put an end to sin during this time. Now, this is Israel's sin we're talking about. And their immorality before God, and God has a plan to stop or seal up Israel's sin. You're starting to see where we're going, right? We know who that plan is, right? Well, he would atone for wickedness during this time. What does that mean? Well, this is God's reconciliation with Israel, restoring the relationship, and God has a plan to cover and atone for Israel's sin. He would also bring in everlasting righteousness during this time period of 490 years. And, of course, this is Israel's millennial kingdom ruled by God. That we're waiting on. So that tells you right away that all of these 490 years have not yet been fulfilled. Most of it, but not all of it, as I shared with you already. God has a plan to rule and reign over Israel, but to do so on earth. Amen? Amen? 
Okay, he would also seal up vision and prophecy during this time. And this is simply the faithfulness of God's word to Israel, that God would fulfill all of his promises to the people of God, to Israel. Remember, this is about Israel. This isn't really about the church. This is about Israel. And God has a plan to fulfill or seal every vision and prophecy that's ever been given to Israel. And much of it has been fulfilled, but there's more that has yet to be fulfilled. And finally, we're told that he would anoint the most holy. Now, when we say the most holy... We think of God, but actually in the Hebrew mindset, the most holy is the holy of holies, the holy place in the temple, and he would anoint the most holy during this time. This is God's restoration of Israel and their temple, and God has a plan to anoint and consecrate Israel's rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. Remember that Daniel's receiving this before the temple has been rebuilt. And of course, since that time, it had been rebuilt and destroyed. And now, We're waiting for that temple to be rebuilt yet again. So again, Daniel's future, our past, some of it's been fulfilled. In fact, most of it has, but some of it has not. And we'll break down what has been fulfilled and what hasn't been fulfilled as we get into the next few verses. So in verses 25 through 26, we deal with all of the elements of the prophecy we've talked about in the 490 years, or in that entire time period, that has already been fulfilled, and history tells us what and where and when. Okay, so let's, let's look a little further. Verses 25 and 26. Let's read the whole section, then I'll break it down. So, Gabriel says, No, and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one. How do we say anointed one in Hebrew? How do we say anointed one in Greek? Ah, so we know how to interpret that. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens. Okay, seven sevens. And 62 sevens. So that would be like a total of 483 years. Broken up into two sections. 49. And I wrote it down in my notes because I don't want to do math on the fly. But uh, 434. Okay, so that's, that's what we got here. All right, so that we're told. And then we're given some detail. It says, before the ruler comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Or 483 years in total. It will be rebuilt. It is referring to the, the city there. Jerusalem will be rebuilt with, uh, with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. And after the 62 sevens, which of course come after the seven sevens, after the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. Another interpretation in the original language, but not for himself. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end will come like a flood, and war will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. I tell you, all of that has already been fulfilled. So, if we're interpreting the 77s properly as 77-year periods, each year being 360 days, then this should work out, right? Are you with me? Okay, I'll do my best to explain how that does work out. First, let's look at verse 25. We're told there in verse 25, Daniel's told, that the Messiah, the king, would come to Israel after the first 483 of the 490 years of prophecy predicted by Gabriel, or 
delivered to Daniel by Gabriel. So did that work out? Well, let's start. When do these 490 years begin? When does the prophecy begin its fulfillment? We are clearly told it is from a decree. A decree, as it says here in verse 25, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, we're told, 483 years. If what I'm suggesting about the sevens and the 70 are true. Well, here's an interesting fact. First of all, this is not the decree of Cyrus, the Persian, to return to the city of Jerusalem, which took place after 539 B.C. How do we know that? Well, this was not the time that they were told they could rebuild their city. This was the time they could go back, return to the land, and rebuild their temple, but not their city. See, it was Zerubbabel's temple that was built between 520 and 516 B.C., not the city. In fact, we know exactly when the decree to rebuild the city of Jerusalem was issued. That, and we know who issued it. That decree was a decree made by Artaxerxes Longinimus to rebuild the city, and it was given on March 14th, 445 B.C. If you're familiar with the book of Nehemiah, it's the account of when that happened, and we're given the dates. But history tells us when it happened. This is a known fact. This was documented by Nehemiah, who became the governor of Jerusalem and actually rebuilt the city. So here's what we're told. The city of Jerusalem would be rebuilt during those first 49 sevens, or 49 years. So here's the thing. Those first 49 years, which you add to the 434 years to come up with 483 years, that describes something very important to the people of Israel, the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. The entire city would be rebuilt with streets and a trench. And these would be difficult times with much opposition to the rebuilding, which we know is true or was true. But the city of Jerusalem was rebuilt during the troubling times between 445 B.C. and 397 B.C. So the first 49 years, or seven sevens, was fulfilled exactly as God said it would be. Which shouldn't surprise you if you know God's word is true. Say amen. And this was documented again by Nehemiah, who again rebuilt the city. And you can read about that in the book of Nehemiah. Now, what we're told in verse 26 is that the Messiah would come and be cut off after the next 434 years, or 62 sevens. So break it down. You got those first 49 years, Jerusalem's rebuilt. Then what happens next? You go another 434 years, and Messiah comes. Did that happen? Well, I want to remind you that when Jesus did come to the earth, when he, when he came, uh, he kept an intentionally low profile for, in Israel for over three years of public ministry. In fact, at times, Jesus strongly refused the people of Israel's attempt to make him their king. And you know that if you've read the Gospels. They wanted to make him king, he would slip out the back door. They wanted to do something to promote him, he wouldn't let it happen. His time had not yet come. How many times did he say that? See, he knew that there was an exact day when he was supposed to present himself to Jerusalem as the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ. And he didn't do it a day before that day, in accordance with God's word. In fact, when that day came, not only did he not slip out the back door, 
He ultimately arranged a public presentation of himself as Messiah to the Jews in Jerusalem. And you're all familiar with it. He received the praise and adoration of the people of Israel as Messiah and King. They're quoting Psalm 118 on Palm Sunday and claiming him to be the Messiah. And just in case you don't think that was the case, the Jewish leader said, tell your disciples and the people to stop proclaiming you to be the Messiah. They knew what they were saying. Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're saying, this is our Messiah. This is our anointed one. And it happened on that day. Well, that was Palm Sunday. And it was 173,880 days after March 14th, 445 B.C. It was April 6th, 32 A.D. Now, there are people that dispute that, but Why? If God said it was going to be an exact amount of time, and it was, and, and, and you can make that case very clearly. I've, I've done enough research on this to say that. That, to me, sounds not only plausible, but it sounds to me like that's exactly what happened. And there's some people that don't like that. And listen, when you start talking about calendars, it gets confusing. Like, what happened after 1 BC? What, what was the next year? 1 AD. People forget there was no year between those two years, right? And then there were times in history when calendars were adjusted too, because you had that 365 and a quarter day. You know, it, it gets confusing, but when you break it down, and if you want more information on this, I can recommend some great sources. But it was exactly what God said would be when the Messiah showed up. Should we be surprised? I mean, did God say he would send his son? He did. We have all of that recorded. What's the confusion? There's no confusion. God is faithful, amen? He's faithful. But the Jews were actually told when this would happen. You could set your watch. And they missed it. Because the Messiah that they were looking for didn't look anything like the one that came. You see, that was the problem. And what's amazing to me, and there's so much I could say about this, and I'm going to reserve comment for now, but the people just missed it because they weren't looking for what God said. They were looking for their prayers to be answered according to their own will. You will miss the prayers of God being answered, the prayers to God being answered, if you're looking for your will to be done and not God's. That's why God told us, Jesus told us how to pray, right? And what did Jesus pray? Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how did he pray in the garden? Not my will, but your will be done. See, if you start to pray properly according to God's will, God's word will be fulfilled in your heart and in your life. It may not be the way that you expect, but he fulfills it to the day. In fact, what did Jesus say when he started to approach Jerusalem on that Palm Sunday? If you had known Jerusalem, Jerusalem, with tears, if you had known this the day of your visitation, If you had just known that this is the day the Lord has made, let us rejoice and be glad in it. If you had just known that this is the day prophesied by Daniel, you'd be celebrating too. But they missed it. They missed it. Now, the prophetic clock, it stopped. It stopped the moment that Jesus was rejected. And it won't start again until it does. See, I don't know when it's going to start again. I, I, I know what things to expect once it does, but there's a problem. 69 sevens or 483 years have been fulfilled. How do I know that? Messiah came. He was rejected. So how many years are left of Daniel's 490-year prophecy to be fulfilled? 
Interesting, seven, that theme or that word comes up again. We'll see it over and over again. So now we're going to begin to talk about things we, we may, maybe don't know. But before we do, there's a few things mentioned in this, in this section that happened after the 483 years were fulfilled and before that prophetic clock is started again, before the fulfillment of the things that will happen during the last seven years of this prophecy. There were things that happened in between. By the way, you're living in between those things. You're living in this parentheses, in this gap between Daniel's 69 weeks and his 70th week, or seven. And so here's what we know. We know, first of all, we know this, Jesus was crucified. Days later, without receiving his earthly kingdom, and, but not for himself. He was cut off, but not for himself. He was cut off for who? For you, for me, for us. But he was resurrected, amen, from the dead after three days, and he ascended into heaven after 40 days, 40 days later. And then the Holy Spirit came upon his, disciple, his disciples as they were gathered 10 days later on Pentecost, and the church was born, and, and that's where we sit today. In that gap, when some things that are mentioned here happened, but nothing that was supposed to happen within the 490 years. In fact, there's more. We're told in the latter part of verse 26 that I read that the city of Jerusalem and the sanctuary would be destroyed after Israel's rejection of Messiah. That's what we're told. Remember, I'm going to read it for you again. It says, the people of the ruler who will come out. Now, the Messiah had already come as it's being presented here. So who's the ruler who will come? Well, there's a people of the ruler who will come. And he will destroy, or they will destroy the city and the sanctuary. And then we're told the end will come like a flood and war will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. And of course, that continues to this day. All of those things are certainly true until the end. But the end hasn't really started yet. Not the time of the end. We're in the time of the Gentiles. But we're in this parenthesis, this time of grace, this time of the church. And that's why many believe that the church will be raptured before that 70th week of Daniel, that last seven years of human history before the Lord returns to set up his millennial kingdom, for that needs to happen during these 490 years. People believe the church will not be here when that seven years begins. Maybe they will. That's not what I'm getting into today. Here's what I want you to know. What Daniel didn't realize, and what many people don't realize, is yes, there would be 490 years of prophecy and fulfillment. What we didn't realize, and what the Jews didn't know or understand, is that after they rejected the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, that the prophetic clock, like a chess clock, would stop to be restarted in the future, and that certain things would happen in between those weeks. But here we are waiting for the 70th week of Daniel. You'll hear me say that a lot going forward. The 70th week of Daniel. And now you know it. You know. You understand now what that means. So, the city of Jerusalem. Well, what did history tell us? Well, so far, history's dead on. Or I should say the Bible's dead on. (laughs) History just bears that out. So, the city of Jerusalem will be destroyed after Israel's rejection of Messiah. Now, here's what happened. The city would be destroyed by the people of the ruler who would come. Now, who are they? Well, history tells us the people were the Romans. In 70 AD, and, and, and if, if that's true, and the other prophecies of Daniel, then the ruler, or the Antichrist, who has yet to be revealed, will be from a Roman Empire. Does this sound familiar? Were you here for chapter 2 of the book of Daniel, and chapter 7? Because we talked about these things. This is consistent, and of course with the book of Revelation. So here's what happened. 
Titus Vespasian gave explicit orders to capture Jerusalem in 70 AD, not to destroy the temple, but the reason was they wanted to secure the gold in the temple, and instead they mistakenly burned it down. So they didn't leave one stone on another as they retrieved the gold that melted between the bricks. Gee, where have I heard that before? Jesus said that that temple would be destroyed and not one stone would be left on another. Hmm. Well, we're told the end would come like a flood, that wars would continue until the end and desolations would take place. And clearly, later on, several decades later, the city was destroyed in a flood of war by the Romans, and that's continued until this present time, which you only need to read world news, and you'll see that that's true even today. The history of the Jews since 70 AD, since the first century, has included many wars and many desolations or holocausts, if you will. Many. So did history bear out the truth of Scripture? Say amen. Okay, so now we're to the last week. The last seven. And I know I've given you a lot of numbers. 367, 62, 434, 483. Forget all that for just a minute. This is the 70th week of Daniel. It hasn't begun yet. It will begin at some point. Will the church be here? I personally believe the indications are no. If I'm wrong, that doesn't change God or his word. It's just a theory is all I can offer you. I'm a pre-tribulationist, premillennialist, dispensationalist. That and five bucks might get you a cup of coffee at Starbucks. So... What is important is what we know will happen, and that's what I want to focus in on. Look at verse 27. In the middle of the seven. Now, why would he say the seven? Well, you're keeping track. We got 67 out of the way. There's only one seven left of the 490 years of prophecy. In the middle, look at, he says in verse 27, he, who's who's he? The ruler who will come, who is a Roman ruler, right? You're with me? Say amen. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering on a wing of the temple. He will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Oh, you know I love it when the bad guy gets it. And that's how it ends. Read Revelation 19 before you go to bed tonight. So, Daniel is told that the ruler who would come, would confirm a covenant with many, that is many of God's people, for seven years or one seven. Now the ruler or this Antichrist, which we'll talk more about next week and moving forward, will be a Roman leader. That is someone who comes from the revived Roman Empire that Daniel shared with us in chapters 2 and 7. He will make a covenant with Israel for seven years. And then that prophetic clock will start ticking again after this seven-year covenant is confirmed by this Roman leader. So until I see a seven-year covenant and a temple rebuilt, I don't think the end is yet. But wait a minute. What if the Lord raptures us tomorrow? Why not tomorrow? Maybe during coffee hour. See, you shouldn't be walking around saying, "Ah, I got nothing to worry about. The temple has to be rebuilt. Then there's seven years. Then the Lord comes back. I got time. Because the Lord could demand your soul tonight, even if there isn't a rapture. You drive in New Jersey, right? Okay. And we're told that the ruler will put an end to sacrifice and offering at the rebuilt temple in Jerusalem. And he's going to do it after half the seven. 
three and a half years. When we get to Revelation, you're going to see this comes up over and over again. 42 months, three and a half years, 1,260 days. It's over and over again. There's no question that Daniel's 77s are 77 weeks, or which are weeks, are years. So 490 years. Okay, enough math for today. We're told the ruler will set up an abomination that causes desolation on a wing of the rebuilt temple, which has yet to be rebuilt. He will seek to destroy the practice of Orthodox Judaism. Not hard to imagine a world where someone wants to destroy the Jewish people. And he will desecrate the rebuilt temple, much like Antiochus Epiphanes did in 167 BC, which we studied in, I believe, chapter 8. So the ruler will ultimately be destroyed by God, amen, after the final three and a half years of Daniel's 490-year prophecy. Okay, what, what did you get out of today besides a math class? What's the theme of the book of Daniel? God is sovereign, or if you like, the sovereignty of God. Or if you really want to go street, God is in control. God is in control! That's all I need to know! If 69 of the 77s has been fulfilled to the day, I should expect the final seven to be fulfilled in the same way. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You know I like to kind of calibrate us at the end of a message like this and say it this way. That's all very nice and interesting. It's wonderful to consider history. Can't argue with history. Well, they try to rewrite it, but it seems like history is being rewritten every week. But we know what history says, and this is true. And then we know what the Bible says about that last seven-year time period. It hasn't started yet. We know it hasn't started yet. That much is clear. There has to be a covenant. And it has to be made between a Roman ruler and many of the people of Israel. And if he's going to desecrate a temple during that seven-year time period, either the temple has to be rebuilt before the seven years begin or sometime after it begins and before the middle of that week or seven, which is three and a half years in. I suspect it'll be rebuilt before the 70th seven. But regardless... We know it's not today, but what is today? Today is the acceptable day of salvation. If you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Give your heart to God. Don't wait for these things. You really want to wait till there's some Adolf Hitler type person in Europe trying to destroy Judaism? You really want to wait? You you really think that it's a good idea? Uh, Forget about that. What if you just, again, God forbid something happens to you? Is your soul right with God? Jesus came and died on a cross. We just talked about that. He was cut off for your sins. He was rejected by Israel, but he hasn't been rejected by us. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, if you proclaim that you believe that he died on the cross for your sins, rose again on the third day, ascended into heaven where he ever lives to make intercession on your behalf at the throne of God, and is coming again, which we talked about as well, to judge the living and the dead. If you profess that truth, if you believe that in your heart, the Bible says whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be what? Saved. Are you saved today? Lord Heavenly Father, I pray that regardless of history and prophecy, every heart today would recognize the importance the vital importance, the essential aspect of a necessary response to these truths. There's no question your word is true. Not just Daniel chapter 9, but John's gospel chapter 3. Unless we're born again, we can't be saved. 
What does born again mean? It means exactly what we talked about, believing the truth of Christ's death and resurrection and his promise to come again, that he died on the cross for our sins. That because of his death, we, as we talked about in communion last week, we will never see death. That is, we will never be separated from you for all eternity. We'll be saved. Whoever calls upon you is. We become sons and daughters of God because we receive you. Lord God, touch every heart that's on the fence today. No fence sitters today, Lord. May every heart respond to your gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.